It's great to be here. I hope, hope that I can live up to that expectation, that introduction uh, this morning. Um, it's great to be here in Puki, in Pukekohe. And um, yeah, just wanted, we had a great time last night. We spent some time with the leaders and uh, just, just an awesome, awesome church that you've got here. I was here on Friday night for youth and youth was going off and, um, and then last night the leaders. But I just want to um, start by um, giving honour. Um, to Craig and Trinity, and Craig was funny last night because I said to him, because I was saying to the leaders last night, I try and when I go to somewhere, wherever I am, I try and uh, give a, you know, like talk about the good things that are happening there. And some people think, oh, you know, I'm just a happy, clappy person, you know, I just try and find good things for the sake of it. But the truth is that I reckon that we should be, as Christians, our default setting should be one of positivity, uh, one of optimism. Um, and I don't know about you, but I reckon you've got reason to be optimistic with the pastors that you have. Uh, Craig and Trinity, uh, we just want to honor you. Come on, let's give honor where honor is due. And um, seriously, thank you for having me. Um, thank you for opening up your home and, and your hearts and looking after me this weekend. I've had a great time and I've, I've really enjoyed it, and um, I'm really excited about this morning. Um, like uh, Craig was saying, um, I'm from Wellington, where um, if you've read um, stuff recently or the Herald, you'd think it was the end times. We've got earthquakes and floods and all sorts of stuff, but it's not as bad as what the media says. It's it's all going to be okay. Um, but we um, are the campus pastors with Pastor John and Gillian Cameron, uh, our Rise Church in Wellington, and uh, my wife Anna and I oversee that campus down there. Uh, we've got three children, two girls and a boy, uh, nine, six, and three years old. So that keeps us on our toes. And we're going to be married for 11 years next weekend. So I've got my uh, wedding anniversary. And on the wedding anniversary, uh, I'm meant to be doing around Lake Taupo, so I've got to see whether that's going to, you know, I'm going to get a leave pass for that, but um, but uh, God is good, and He's on the throne, hopefully, uh, well, definitely, but, you know, I don't know about in my marriage, but um, but uh, I, I'm just excited to be here, and before we get into it this morning, um, I just really want to encourage us, you know, when we come to church, that... Um, I believe that this is the gateway to heaven, that whenever we step into the house of God, um, it's not by the words of man or the persuasive words of a speaker or something like that, but it's the power of God in our lives that changes us forever. And I encourage us that when we come into this place this morning, let's open up our hearts as we open up the word and, and hear a message. Let it be more than a message. Let this be like the words of God speaking to us this morning. So we're going to open our hearts. We're going to pray, and then we're going to get into the word. So Let's pray in this place and invite God here into our hearts to speak to us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence here. We thank you for the praise and the worship. We thank you, Lord, that your word says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so, God, we ask, Lord, that you would bring freedom in this place. Lord, that you would invite, the, Lord, as you are invited, Lord, that you would invade our hearts, Lord, that you would transform our lives. Father, we ask, Lord, the things in us that nobody knows about, Lord, that you would speak right to them right now in this place. We just give you all the glory and all the praise. We give you the honor today. May your name be glorified in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Well, if you've got a Bible this morning, I want you to turn it into the book of Romans, Romans chapter 4, verse number 18 this morning. And the title of my message today, if you're taking notes, is Fully Persuaded. Fully Persuaded. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. 
the Bible says this, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring, so your offspring shall be. Without weakening in his face, in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do that which he had promised. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Amen. Amen. I am a sports fan. I've got to put it out there. I'm a sports fan. I, I like watching sport. In fact, um, I'm from England originally, so I grew up uh, in Liverpool, and uh, and I grew up watching Liverpool play, and I'd heard about the glory days, but ever since I've been alive, I was born in 1983, you know, the last time Liverpool won the league was 1989. I supported the English rugby team as well before I moved over to New Zealand. In fact, my parents moved over to New Zealand, and they had three places, three choices of a place to live. The first choice was Nelson, the second choice was Napier, and the third choice was Wanganui. And they chose Wanganui, the armpit of New Zealand, as Pastor Craig likes to call it. For some reason, he's got some bitter root judgment against Wanganui. We're going to pray for that later on. But I'm a sports fan. And, uh, you know, I moved over to New Zealand. And the great thing about moving over to New Zealand is that I emigrated over here and I assimilated myself with the culture and I assimilated myself with the sports teams in New Zealand. Therefore, I left England, who rarely ever won anything, and I then came and supported the All Blacks, who win all of the time. You see, it's not hard to support the All Blacks because apart from last weekend, you know, when they lost, or a couple of weekends ago when they lost to Ireland, they hardly ever lose. The All Blacks are such an easy team to support. But you know what I was reading about? I was reading about the other week about a team in Scotland called St. Johnston, St. Johnston Football Club. And I was reading about this team, and they hadn't won their league for 130 years. They hadn't, they'd been playing in the same league. They hadn't won for 130 years. I felt like, well, I said to them, I was thinking, they now know what it's like to be a Hurricanes fan. You know, they hadn't won for so long. And I was thinking, what is it about a St. Johnston fan or an Irish fan for 111 years that hadn't beaten the All Blacks? What keeps them believing that their team is one day going to win? Well, I was thinking, man, you have to be fully persuaded about supporting that team and believing that they're going to win. The amazing thing about being a Christian is that we are on the winning side every single day of our lives. But I've found in my life that I need to be constantly persuaded that everything's going to be okay. I need to be constantly persuaded that everything's going to be okay. You know, the crazy thing about Abraham in this passage of Scripture is that the Bible says that Abraham was fully persuaded that God had the power to do that which he had promised. I've found that in my life, and I don't know about you, but no matter how much I get preached to about it, no matter how much I hear great teaching about it, 
persuasion in my life is something that can change from time to time. But what I want to talk to us today about is in, in our lives, when we face sickness, in our lives, when we face family members who have walked away from God, in our lives, where we face workplaces which are hard, how do we remain fully persuaded? Because I believe that the Bible says that God looks to and fro across the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully devoted to Him. And I believe in the same way that we support the All Blacks, even greater way, we should be fully persuaded for all that God wants to do in our lives. You know, God's intention for our lives is that despite everything going on around us, we would remain fully persuaded. I don't know about you, but the pattern in my life is that I'm really good at starting things, but I'm not so good always at following through on things. The 1st of January, I've got the best plan for the year with my eating. I've got the best plan for the year with my fitness regime. And then come January the 4th, I've let those donuts slip into my diet. I've let this come into my... Is there anybody with me this morning? Any honest people? And we set off with great ambition, but after a while persuasion changes within us. We let a a few little things come in. We start our journeys fully convinced, but things happen in our lives. And I believe sometimes what happens for us, we start so well, but we settle for something less than what God has for us. Abraham was fully persuaded despite everything being against him, fully persuaded about the course that he was on. I will remain in my life fully persuaded. I will remain believing in God and trusting in Him all the days of my life. You know, when I got saved, you know, the powerful thing is that when you get saved is that you go from walking one one way to turning around and going completely the other way. When you meet the woman that you love or the man that you love, um, you know, being a man with loving the woman that you love and a, a woman being the man that you love, make sure that we get that in, in right context. You go from walking one way to turning around and walking the completely different way. You're fully persuaded that you want to, you know, pursue your life with that person. You change from going one way to going another. I was telling, I was, t- I was telling the leaders last night. I was saying, man, there's this girl in our church named Tiana, and um, she got saved uh, about six months ago completely radically saved off drugs and off alcohol and off um, just totally set free. Her life had been a 180 degree turn. And I called her up this week because this this week we're doing our testimony. Uh, we're giving God praise for all the great things that He's done in the church this year. And I, I called her up and I said, Tiana, we'd like you to give your testimony at church. We want you to tell about the great things that God has done. And, and she said, oh, um, uh, uh, usually when I call people, about asking them to give their testimony, they can sort of be a bit like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to give my testimony. I'm a bit shy, a bit bit afraid. But she's like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to. Everybody needs to know about Jesus. And I'm like, oh, man, I wish I had that sort of passion sometimes. She's fully persuaded. But you know, the crazy thing is in life is that it's the enemy's plan to turn what our course around from being fully persuaded to being half persuaded and diluting the promises of God down in our lives. In fact, in the Bible, right from Adam through the Bible, we see people who are fully persuaded who have been tried to turn around by the enemy's plan in their lives. Look at what happens here for Adam and Eve. Right from Adam through to the early church, 
Um, they, the challenge is for full persuasion in our lives. I would imagine that in the Garden of Eden, the Spirit of God had, had breathed on Adam and Eve, and it was literally heaven on earth. There was a presence of God. There was no fear or shame or guilt or pain. There was only one way for Adam and Eve, and that was intimacy and devotion to God. They were in a place of complete tranquility. Do you remember when you got saved? You remember when you got saved? And it was like, oh my gosh, I want to tell everybody about Jesus. I, 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 I'm a part of, I'm the only Christian in my family. I was 16 years old when I got saved. And when I came home, I'd been radically saved, spirit-filled. And I came home and I, I said to my dad, oh dad, I was saved and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you know when you tell somebody and they're not quite getting it, but you're fully persuaded. When you first got saved, you were just so on fire for God. And you know, for Adam and Eve, imagine what it would have been like in the garden you know, encountered God and, you know, he'd created them, their intimacy with God. But look what happens here in Genesis chapter 3. And you need to write this reference down here today. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. The Bible says that the serpent came and he was more crafty than the wild animals. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, you may, you may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Did God really say? Have you ever stopped to think that the first words that we hear in the Bible out of the enemy's mouth to Adam and Eve, the first words that he speaks in the Bible to Adam and Eve are these words, did God really say? Did God really say? The first challenge that the enemy gives to the Word of God in our lives is the question of doubt. Did God really say? Did God really say that to you? Did God really say? I don't know about you, but have you ever been so adamant about something and then you hear something different and it changes your mind? I do this with my kids and lollies. My kids, they want lollies, right? You know, so I'll say to my kids, I'll say to my kids, no, no, you're not having any, any more sugar. No more sugar. And then, and then um, they'll say to me, this, these immortal words, these words that, you know, change everything. Well, mum said it was okay. And I won't have talk, talked to mum, but because they've told me that mum says it's okay, it changes everything about my mind. Now I'm like, oh, should I go? Should I say no to my kids? Should I say no to my wife? Out of those two options, I know I want to say no to my kids. I don't want to say no to my wife. But this, this challenge to us, and in every area of our lives, comes to us, and it's, did God really say? Over our finances, well, did God really say that? Over those family members that you're believing to come back to Christ, did God really say? Over our healing in our lives, did God really say that to us? And everything that happens is to put doubt into our minds. Look what happens here for Eve. The enemy says to her, did God really say? And look what she says. She starts to enter into a conversation with the enemy. As soon as we hear God's, uh, the enemy say to us, did God really say? As soon as we start trying to justify ourselves to the enemy, then the dialogue starts to be one of doubt and not one of faith. 
But God, I believe, is looking for His people to be fully persuaded, to not listen to the voice of doubt or the, the, the voice of, did God really say? But to say that, yes, my family will be saved. Yes, my children will come back to Christ. Yes, my body will be healed. Yes, my finances will prosper. To not doubt our decisions, to not doubt our relationships, to not doubt where we're working right now, to not doubt our spouse. You know, I was... um. I preached this message in Wellington just recently, and I had a lady come over to me who'd been really believing to uh, fall pregnant for a number of years. And she said, you know, when you were preaching, I'd thought in my heart, I, I'd, I'd, I'd pushed away. In the start, I believed that God had told me that I would be pregnant. But over time, I had this voice on my head that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And, you know, I just want to speak to you today to say that the truth is that God has a plan for your life, and it's more than just a song to say the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Can you say amen this morning? The best is yet to come for our lives. God has got something greater for us, but it's about remaining fully persuaded. Once, once, um, once doubt comes in, then that gives a, a door to the enemy. But thanks be to God, we have Jesus Christ who gives us the source of support and hope no matter what we face. The Bible says this about Abraham. Let's read it again. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do that which he had promised. What in your life right now are you not fully persuaded about? What are you in your life right now are you not fully persuaded about? Or have you, you've maybe let it slip in your life? I reckon for all of us, there's something that goes on. You know, maybe bills that are not paid, maybe things that are, are not coming through. Well, I just want to speak to you today to say, believe again. Now's the time to believe again. I wonder what it was that allowed Abraham to stay fully persuaded in the promises of God for our lives. And this morning, I want to talk about how we can remain fully persuaded. And I've got notes for every, I've got points for every point taken today. So you can take five points away and they'll change your life forever in Jesus' name. But, you know, I want to talk to us this morning about how we can remain fully persuaded in our lives, how we can keep that commitment to the cause. Because just like a New Year's resolution, sometimes when God speaks to our lives, we can drift away from it. But today I want to believe again that God is going to bring hope back. So how can we remain fully persuaded? Well, I'm glad that you asked. The first way that we can remain fully persuaded, how do we remain fully persuaded in our lives? The first way is to do not to not look back. Do not look back. If we're to stay fully persuaded in life and that God and all that God has for us, we must commit and not look back. You know, for Abraham, he had every reason to look back to his past. Think about Abraham. He's old. Like he's old. And his wife, she's old too. Like having babies. That's not a possibility at that age. And attempting to have babies at that age, well, that doesn't even bear thinking about because it's a little bit like nasty. You know, like, I, I, I don't even want to think about that. But his youth had passed him by for Abraham. His youth had passed him by. His wife was older in years. Seriously, there were, more prob there were probably more qualified and youthful options for God to use. But Abraham did not look back. He would have legitimately thought that the will of God for his life was finished, but God still used him. We must accept 
that God wants to use who we are right now, not who we were. Look, I want to speak to you. If you're over the age of 50 and you reckon the best days of your life have gone, I want to speak to you today. If Abraham was 99 years old and still having children, God's got a plan for you yet. He wants to use you. If you're breathing, God wants to use you. If you stop breathing, well, you know you're going on to somewhere better anyway. So come on, now's the time for you to be used by God right where you are. Not looking back, not the best days. The best days are behind us. The best days are in front of us. You know, um, the, the, the fortunate thing about having the Bible is that with the Bible, we've got great hindsight. We can see when the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. And we can see that and we like, it fell on the 120 and then moved in power. And we see that, that's awesome. And it's like, yeah, we want that in our lives. We want that in our churches. But what we don't see, what we don't have context to is all of the prayer meetings that those early church had and they're waiting around like where God didn't move. You know, like, could you imagine, you know, where Peter finishes and you just pray, amen, amen. And then they go and have some lunch or supper or whatever. And God didn't move, but they would have had multiple prayer meetings where God didn't move. But we have the, the, the benefit of hindsight now where God didn't move. And I reckon that even though God might not have moved in the past, or maybe He did move in the past, He's got something greater still yet to come. God has got something for us to look forward to and not look back, to remain before it gets really good, to stay positive in the face of challenge. You know, um, I am a Liverpool supporter. Going back to sport, I'm a Liverpool fan. And you know, being a Liverpool fan, just like being a Hurricanes fan, it's filled with pain. It's filled with hurt. It's filled with tears. And uh, I, at the 2005 Champions League final, Liverpool were playing AC Milan. And I just want to take you back to this day because I was working that day part-time as a painter. And um, Liverpool were playing AC Milan and, and they set off, th this game kicked off and I was so full of hope for the game. I thought we were going to win. And uh, we went down 1-0 in the first minute. It's like getting, a, you know, 1-0 in the first minute. 15 minutes went by, 2-0 down. And my brother, I started off watching the game with my flatmates and my brother. And uh, after the second goal, my flatmates are like, oh, this is over. I'm going. I'm off. So they went off to work. Anyway, 2-0 down, 3-0 to AC Milan before halftime. My brother, who is my brother from Liverpool, leaves to go to work. And I'm left there on my own. Just me and my bowl of cornflakes at breakfast time, eating, crying tears into my bowl of cornflakes as Liverpool are 3-0 down at halftime. But I said, no, I'm going to commit. I'm staying until it gets really good. I don't know where the faith came from because it had been 20 years of hurt before that. And, I, I'm, I'm, and then guess what happened? Liverpool come out after halftime, 3-1. They score a goal. Steven Gerrard heads the ball into the net. Second goal, um, there's, a, there's a shot from outside the box. 
drills it into the bottom corner. Then with uh, about 60 minutes gone, Gerard gets fouled in the box and then Jabby Alonso takes the penalty, saved by the keeper. Then he scrambles in, bangs it into the back of the net and I'm dancing around my, around my lounge room, literally with my shirt swinging around my head, jumping around saying, where is everybody? Where is everybody? If only they'd have committed and not looked back. And anyway, it goes to extra time. Juzy Dudak makes a save, bounces over the bar, goes to penalties. Shevchenko misses the penalty. Liverpool win the 2005 Champions League final. Exactly. If only they'd have stayed to have seen that. You know, the truth is that we must commit and believe before it gets really good. Look, some people in this, uh, in this church are a part of a life group, and maybe you're thinking, oh, man, you know, if only something would change. I just want to encourage you. Come on, speak to the dry bones and, and wait for it to wait for it to happen. You know, you've been believing for healing. You know, this in the Bible it talks about the man who was by the pool for 38 years before he was healed. The woman with the issue of blood, 12 years bleeding before she was made well. Come on, there's people in this place today that have been believing for 12 days and we get discouraged. Six months and we get discouraged. Come on, now's the time to believe again, to commit and not look back. Can you say amen this morning? So the first thing is we need to commit and not look back. Second thing is we need to focus on the answer and not the problem. Focus on the answer and not the problem. I've found that in life and in my own life, I've got a pretty good idea of what the problems are. Like if I'm fully persuaded, I know what the problems are in my life. But what makes the difference is not the problem, but the presence of an answer. Anyone can point out the faults, but what is it that we actually want? You know, the powerful thing in the Bible is that Jesus comes to a man who's blind. Now, if I come and see a blind person, I would know usually that they're blind because you can actually see it in them. You know, like you can see that they're blind. But Jesus actually says to this blind man, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? And the blind man says, I want to see. I want to be, I want to see. You know, a lot of the time that we complain and we expect, you know, people to know what is going on in our lives. But the truth is we have the power in our lives to just speak out what we want. God is not afraid of us asking asking Him what we want. Now's the time for us to declare not the problem, but what is it that we want in our lives. I was sharing with the leaders last night about um, a time where I was complaining to Pastor John about my cell phone. And um, I was saying, oh, you know, it can't do this, it can't do that. And he was complaining. And I was never forget because we were driving in the car and he turns to me and he says, well, are you a thermometer? Or are you a thermostat? I said, oh, uh, I'll just be whatever you want me to be. <laughs> and I said, uh, and he said, well, are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat? I'm like, what do you mean? And he said, well, a thermometer can tell me what the temperature is, but a thermostat can control the temperature in the room. And I said, oh, I've never thought of it like that before. I want to be a thermostat. And, I was, and he's like, exactly. Either you can let the environment dictate to you or you can dictate to the environment. With our problems, with our workplaces, with our family members, with our health, with our finances, we have a God that gives us the authority to dictate to the, the circumstance. 
I've found that in church life, there can be a lot of thermometers in church. A lot of people saying, oh, the worship wasn't that good today, was it? Mind you, the worship was amazing today. Can we thank our worship team? Aren't our worship team awesome? <laughs> saying, oh, you know, I didn't get much out of the word today. You know, he was a bit, you know, that bald guy with the, the veins popping out of his head. He, he didn't really have much today. He was a bit froth and bubble, wasn't he? He was a bit eccentric. Uh, you know, um, we could say, oh, you know, this I haven't been looked after. Thermostat, a thermometer can tell me what the temperature is, but a thermostat, wow, they can they can change the environment. You know, if this if things aren't progressing in your life group, well, you've got the power to actually do something about that. Come on, God has called for us not to focus on the problems, to focus on the answers. First uh, Corinthians chapter one uh, says this. Paul says, "I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified." I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and Him crucified. I just want to put some context on the Scripture because when Paul went to Corinth, what happened in his life is that he went into a church where there were crazy kinds of issues. He In this church that he went to, now it wasn't like CFC where there was harmony and, you know, awesome things happening. This was a church divided. I mean, there was incest between believers. There was people fighting. Like this section over the church here, they didn't like this section over the church there. And they never, this group over here, they never spoke to this group. And this group in here, well, they they were all backbiting each other and it was horrible. And you know what else happened at this church? There was public lawsuits that they were filing against other Christians. So it would be like, you know, uh, just different people in the church filing lawsuits and sitting in the same church. Imagine being the pastor of that church. Imagine walking in there with a few problems. Like, you know, we think that we've got it bad, but man, that's bad. And so Paul walked in there and he said, man, I could just focus on all of these problems, but I'm going to resolve to know Christ and Him crucified. That's what he wrote to the Corinthian church. When I step into my workplace, there's so many problems in here, but I'm just going to resolve to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm going to keep declaring the promises of God. I'm going to keep speaking a solution and not a problem. I'm going to keep declaring it over it because I know that in life it's so easy to look for the things that are uh, pressure and resolving to know uh, the facts, but we must resolve to know the truth. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says, and we need to write it down today. That uh, This is what I say, but I'm going to back it up with what the Bible says. But this is, we must know the facts, but accept the truth. We must know the facts, but accept the truth. The Bible says that Abraham accepted the facts. He knew the facts that his body was as good as dead, but he knew the truth. Truth supersedes facts. Let me say that again. Truth supersedes facts. Truth overcomes facts. The facts are that I'm sick in my body, but the truth is that God can heal me. The facts are that I might be in pressure right now, anxiety, but the truth is that I can cast my anxiety onto God for He he is me. Maybe we're sick. Maybe where we are right now, let's face the facts, but accept the truth. What is it that we actually want? I've got to keep moving today. Thirdly, we've got to align our thinking to God's thinking. We've got to focus on the pro- focus on the answer, not the problem. But thirdly, we need to align our thinking with God's thinking. 
Is this all right this morning? It's getting in? Align our thinking to God's thinking. You know, um, we must align our way of thinking to God's way of thinking, not the other way around. Now, let me use an illustration of this. My um, daughter is just turned nine years old. She turned nine in July. And uh, at her eighth birthday party, she had an Elsa cake. No, she had an, a frozen cake, just like every other eight-year-old girl on the whole planet. They've got a frozen cake. But she had Olaf, Olaf birthday cake. Now, any parent that's made a birthday cake would realize that it's about 3 to 4% like cake and, you know, 97 to 96% sugar, right? Pure sugar. So at the party, they're eating sugar and that's awesome. And I'm like, go for it. But my daughter wakes up the next morning and there's still some Olaf cake left over in the fridge. And she says, Dad, we're going to have Olaf cake for breakfast. And I said, no, darling, we're not having Olaf cake for breakfast. And she says to me, no, no, we are. We're going to have Olaf cake for breakfast. And I said, no, darling, we're not having Olaf cake for breakfast. And she says, no, Dad, that's definitely what we're doing because I think that it would be a really good idea. And I said, no, darling, we're not having, and we went backwards and forwards like this. But you know what the crazy thing is about it is that it made me think about our relationship with God because oftentimes we're trying to tell God the way things are going to be. And he's actually like, no, I've got a better way, but you need to align your thinking with my thinking. Because my thought being a father is that I don't want my daughter eating sugar at 7.30 a.m. in the morning because we know, I know that it's going to be bad for her. But her only thought is that it's going to be good for me. And sometimes we need to change our thinking in life to not just thinking I know the right way all the time, but actually, God, what are your thoughts about this so that then I can apply it to my life? The Bible says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 9, Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So I ask for God's thoughts and apply them to my life. Lord, I want to align my thinking with your thinking. The promise and the word of God. The Bible says this in John chapter 17, verse 17. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. The truth comes first. The facts come second. Um, another way of thinking about this is whenever I go away on a holiday, or whenever I pack the dishwasher at home, this is the way it works. I do the packing of the car. Okay, my wife does not do the packing of the car because the way that yeah, the way that I can see some husbands and wives looking at yeah, that's right. When we go away on holiday, because what I'll do is I'll be meticulously packing the car, and every rule of packing is that the big rocks go in first. The big rocks go in first, and when you put the big rocks, but what will happen is I'll be packing the car, and then I'll go away to get something, and then I'll come back, and my wife will have thrown in a few like little things in there, and it's ruined the pack. You've got to get it all right. You've got to get it right, because if it's all wrong, we, we can't go away on holiday. So it's all in there. But usually, there was this one time where we packed the car, and we were packing the car, and, um, and the, we were going away tenting, and we'd pack the car, and I, I got it all in there, and it's great. And... Um, 
and we were driving up the um, we were driving up the road to come out of our house, and um, and we were like, yeah, pumped about holiday. Everybody was so excited, and um, and my wife turns to me and said, um, did you put in the awning for the tent? And I said, um, at, at that point, I realised, oh my gosh, we're going away tenting, and I've not put the tent in the car. If you're going away tenting, the tent is an important part of your holiday. So, <laughs> so that was a moment of, let's say, dynamic conversation between me and my wife at that point because I've spent the time and I hadn't put the tent in the car. But you know the crazy, I was thinking about it in relation to aligning our thoughts with God's thoughts. Oftentimes, we put all of our, our thoughts into our mind first, and then we, you know, try and cram God's thinking in last, you know, try and shove it in there. But I want to tell you the Word of God, the truth of God, man, that's the first rock that needs to go in. Why did David come out to the Philistines the first thing in the morning and the last thing at night? Because he knew that if he could get them first thing in the morning and last thing at night, he would have the thought, why did, why did Goliath do that to the Philistines? Because he knew that if he could have their thoughts, he would have their lives. The first things first. When we align, when we put the big rocks in first, man, everything changes about our lives. Try to make it the first thing in your day. Put the Word of God into your life. Put, try to make it the last thing at night. Just get a, wor a word, a verse. Let's align our thinking to God's thinking. Fourthly, and I need to move quickly. Um, what time do I have to be done? 12.30? Just joking. Um, fourthly, our words must, must match what we believe. Our words must match what we believe. We must align our thinking with God's thinking, but our words must match what we believe. I found that in life, most people believe, but we must understand that it is the power of our words to complete what we believe. You know, when you first, I was sharing this with the leaders last night, when you come to God, the confession of faith is what completes your salvation. You believe it in your heart, but you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. As Kiwis, we're really good at believing something in our hearts, but we don't confess it with our mouths. Like you could love this church, you'd love it in your heart. And because we're Kiwis, we like to say, you know, oh, well, you know, I believe it in my heart. But the actual, the transaction is completed when we confess it with our mouths. You know, you might love somebody, but until you speak it out with your mouth, then it doesn't have any power. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Fully persuaded people are determined to speak with their mouths what they believe in their hearts. But speak in their mouths what they believe in their hearts. We are called to prophesy to the dry bones. I've found that in life, there's nothing natural about prophesying. It's weird to prophesy, isn't it? You know, like it's weird to walk into your workplace and say, this is a great place to work. <laughs> it's weird to walk into a hospital room and say, God is going to heal you and you're going to walk out of this place fully well. It's weird to do that. But that's why it's called a sacrifice of praise because it costs us something. I want to encourage us, church, you know, when it comes to 
um, to, to being fully persuaded in our lives. The words complete the heart belief. It's about an inward revelation and an outward declaration. An inward revelation and an outward declaration. Come on, encourage somebody. Tell somebody that they're great. Tell somebody that they look good. Just encourage, speak words of life. So this is the, the, the fourth thing is, let our words match our belief. And fifthly, as the band come, if the band could just join me on stage. We need to, the fourth thing so far, we need to not look back. We need to focus on the answer, not the problem. We need to align our thinking with God's thinking. We need to let our words match our belief. And fifthly, we need to understand the place of trials in our lives. If we're going to remain fully persuaded, we've got to understand the place of trials in our lives. One of the biggest challenges to stay fully persuaded is the appearance of hardship in our lives, whether it's sickness, whether it's financial pressure, whether it's loss, whether it's somebody hurt us, whether it's pain in our bodies. How do you remain fully persuaded in trials? Well, to remain fully persuaded, we must put trials into context. The only way we put trials into context is through the Word of God. Look at what First Peter says. That First Peter says, First Peter one verses six to nine. In all of this, greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the provenness, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Come on, God is worthy of praise. Romans chapter 8, we know that in all things, God works together for those that love Him and accord according to His purpose. If you're in the middle of trials right now, congratulations. It probably means that you're in the right place. If you're walking through something, this has come to prove the genuineness of your faith. Do not be ashamed about the fiery ordeal that has come upon you right now. And look, there's many people in this room. If you're not walking through a trial right now, wow, I need to talk to you because I want something that you've got. But all of us, whether that's work-related, family-related, are walking through a trial. But God has come to us to say today that God wants to work all things together to understand the presence of trials in our lives. I want to finish by talking about this guy. His name's Nick Gusich. And uh, this guy, Nick, was born um, without arms, without arms and without legs. He was, um, some of you may have heard of, heard of him. And, um, you know, uh, to be born like that, you've really got to question what, why has God put you on the planet? And um, for him, he, um, he'd lost, lost uh, you know, obviously his limbs and, and an ability to do so many things in life, he constantly questioned why he was different, why he was going through the trials that he was going through. 
He wondered what the purpose of his life was or even if he had a purpose. But then I read this quote from this guy and he said this, it made me realize how he kept going. He said this, everybody else was saying that I was a cripple. Everybody else was saying that I couldn't amount to much. But the truth is, I was never crippled until I lost hope. I was never crippled until I lost hope. My disabilities didn't mean anything until I lost hope. You know, the truth is you can have the whole world going on around you, but until you lose hope, that's the only place you're gonna find where you're crippled. But I believe that today, no matter what people are walking through, no matter how you came into this place today, God wants to bring hope into your life, that you can be in an environment of possibility. Abraham faced the facts that his body was as good as dead, but he did not waver through unbelief. He was fully persuaded. And I want to pray for people this morning who are saying, yeah, I need that full persuasion again. I want to be fully persuaded that my family members are going to come back to Christ. I want to be fully persuaded again that people in my workplace are going to be saved. I want to be fully persuaded again about my church and believe that we're going to make an impact for Pukekohe. I want to be fully persuaded that my finances are going to turn around. Come on this morning, let's believe in faith. Let's stand in faith together. Come on, all over this room, stand to your feet. Jesus, in this room today, just with every head bowed and every eye closed, every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give people an opportunity not to respond to God today, uh, to, to me today, but an opportunity to respond to God. You want to say to God today, Lord, I am fully persuaded that you have the power to do that which you promised. You have the power. And if you're saying, yeah, I want to that full persuasion back again, I want it back again today, Lord. I want fresh hope in my life. I want fresh liberty in my life. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands to God. You're saying, yeah, that's me. I want that again. And I don't know about you, but I want that in my life. So all over this room, come on, if that's you, you're saying, yeah, I want that again. I, I want full persuasion. Just lift up one or both hands to God all over this place. Come on, lift them high to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you, Lord, that indeed you have the power to do that which is promised. Lord, that over every situation in our lives, there's a miracle that can happen. There's a miracle that can happen in our, in our lives, in every area. And Lord, we know that your word says that nothing is too hard for you. God, that with man it's impossible, but with God, Nothing is impossible. So God, take off the limits in our minds right now. God, remove the doubts in our hearts. God, the filter from our eyes. And Lord, we choose to speak to the mountain and say, let it be moved today. God, let sickness be healed in this place. God, let doubt be removed all over this place. God, we declare a miracle can happen. Come on, lift up your hands all over this place. 